you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the September 8th edition of I Am Are You? The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out loud and out front since 1974, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I'm Miss Barbecue. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight I talk to writer director Stuart Thorndike and actress Ingrid Youngerman about their scary new film, Lyle. And I talk to my good buddy David Taffet from the Dallas Voice. He's going to tell us all about Michael Sam and the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll check with Josh Flagg from Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. Ooh, and the sapphic nomads explore life behind the headlines in India. And we'll be joined live in the studio by the one and only Miss Jackie B. We got the beat tonight. Yes. <laughs> but first, the national and international news from our friends at This Way Out. I'm Natalie Peoples. And I'm Jason Proctor. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending September 6, 2014. Lawmakers in Coahuila have made it the first state in Mexico to legislatively open civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples. The September 1st vote by Coahuila's Congress was 19 to 1. The new law revises more than 40 sections of the state's civil code and takes effect in the coming week. According to reports, it defines marriage as the free union with full consent of two people, which has as its objective to realize community life where both people seek respect, equality, and mutual aid. The law's exposition of motives says it puts an end to the restrictions and limitations imposed on the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, travesty, transgender, and intersex community, which constitutes a constitutional and international violation. Civil marriage for same-gender couples is available in two other places in Mexico, the federal district, Mexico City, where it was passed by legislators in 2009, and in the state of Quintana Roo, where the Secretary of State determined in 2012 that the state's civil code did not specify sex or gender requirements for marriage. Mexico has 31 states. Coahuila borders the southern boundary of the U.S. state of Texas. It didn't take long for the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to issue its ruling on the constitutionality of civil marriage bans in the states of Indiana and Wisconsin. The three-judge panel heard oral arguments in Chicago on August 26th. Led by Ronald Reagan appointee Richard Posner, the judges challenged every argument in separate hearings by each of the attorneys representing the two states in defense of their respective bans. 
While the unanimous ruling by the appeals court striking down the bans wasn't in doubt, the speed with which it was issued was noteworthy. Posner, who wrote the decision, called the cases straightforward to decide. He scorned the arguments by each of the state's lawyers that keeping marriage exclusive to heterosexual couples encourages responsible procreation as so full of holes that it cannot be taken seriously. To the extent that children are better off in families in which the parents are married, they are better off whether they are raised by their biological parents or by adoptive parents. The discrimination against same-sex couples is irrational and therefore unconstitutional. Officials in Indiana and Wisconsin can let the ruling stand, but that's unlikely for the Republican-controlled administrations of each state. They can ask for a full Seventh Circuit Court review or appeal directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, which already has other state appeals pending. The Seventh Circuit decision is the fourth from a federal appeals court to overturn state civil marriage bans and the 39th ruling from a state or federal court in favor of marriage equality since the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark Windsor decision last year. Since that time, just two judges have upheld state bans on civil marriage for gay and lesbian couples. A state judge in Tennessee, and this week a federal judge in Louisiana. District Judge Martin Feldman upheld Louisiana's ban in a September 3rd ruling, referring to the issue of marriage equality as lifestyle choices recognition. He said that states have the right to define civil marriage and that opponents of the ban had failed to prove that it violates the U.S. Constitution. Attorneys for the same-gender couples who brought the case said they'll appeal. In legal news elsewhere, a Jamaican activist has withdrawn his lawsuit challenging the Caribbean nation's so-called buggery laws out of fear for his safety and the safety of his family. 25-year-old Javed Jagay said he's received death threats since bringing his case before the Supreme Court. Dating back to 1864 and a relic of British rule, the anti-gay law punishes private, consensual adult male homosexual acts with 10 years at hard labor for the abominable crime of buggery. Though the cause and the case are noble, Chagay wrote in his formal withdrawal, I am no longer willing to gamble with my life or the lives of my parents and siblings. The now moot court case was based on Jagay's claim that he was unlawfully evicted from his residence for being gay and would have argued that the buggery law itself violates Jamaica's constitutionally protected privacy laws. Prime Minister Portia Simpson-Miller had previously promised to review the anti-gay law but has failed to do so. There's strong societal homophobia on the island, marked by routine violence against people perceived to be sexual or gender variant, and death threats or worse against activists. A recent anti-gay rally in Kingston drew several thousand people, and dozens of homeless LGBT young people have nowhere else to live other than Jamaica's sewers. Uganda's constitutional court struck down that nation's infamous anti-homosexuality law on a legal technicality in August. But as equality advocates feared, an effort is being made to pass that law again, or something similar, this time with a constitutionally mandated quorum present and voting. The court cited the lack of a quorum as the only reason it overturned the measure. MP David Bahati who has close ties with right-wing Christian groups in the United States, wrote the original bill. He officially informed the Ugandan deputy speaker this week that he intends to reintroduce it in the new parliamentary session. There have been reports that a revised version of the bill would focus on criminalizing the promotion of homosexuality. One MP told reporters that 
If adults have consented, period, there's no problem. We shall not harass them. But there's tremendous homophobia in the East African country, stirred to the boiling point by the numerous visits of several U.S. evangelicals peddling so-called pray-the-gay-away cures. So even if the new law doesn't enhance penalties for private consensual adult gay sex, already a crime there, hostility towards sexual minorities in Uganda remains pervasive. Organizers of the New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade announced this week that an LGBT-identified organization will be allowed to participate next March for the first time in the event's 253-year history. Unlike St. Patrick's Day celebrations in other parts of the world, including Ireland, Self-identified LGBT groups have been banned from what Roman Catholic Church-affiliated organizers call the oldest and largest such parade. Out at NBC Universal, the multimedia empire's LGBT employee group will be allowed to march under its own banner. As it happens, NBC broadcasts the festivities. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio boycotted the event last year because of the LGBT ban and Guinness, Sam Adams, and Heineken dropped out as sponsors. But Irish Queers, which has fought the ban for decades, noted that allowing just one group to march, and a group associated with one of the parade's major sponsors at that, was not a lifting of the ban. The group's media statement scoffed at the claim that other groups can apply in years to come. We remember too well, it said, how parade organizers used fake waiting lists to bury our applications before, New York's major LGBT advocacy group, Empire State Pride Agenda, called the organizers' announcement disappointing and self-serving. Inviting one group to march at the exclusion of all others is a far stretch from the full inclusion we deserve. And finally, gay sporting news was made on three continents this week. Former University of Missouri standout and rookie defensive end Michael Sam, the U.S. National Football League's first out player to be drafted by a professional team, was cut from the squad at the end of August by the St. Louis Rams. The 24-year-old player had performed well in preseason games, but was released by the Rams in the final round of cuts, reportedly because the team overflows with other defensive talent. But Sam was signed this week by the Dallas Cowboys to the team's 10-man practice squad, which could be a gateway to his eventual debut during a regular season game. Cowboys coach Jason Garrett said they'd had nothing but good reports about him from our people and people in St. Louis. We just want to give him a chance to come in and see if he can help our football team. Sam grew up in Texas and said it was great to be heading home. That's News Wrap for the week ending September 6th, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community Ow. is a strong community. News Wrap was produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK, Los Angeles. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Natalie Peoples. And I'm Jason Proctor. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on free podcasts, on Stitcher, Radio On Demand, on iTunes, or even at thiswayout.org. And also on the program this week, catch the viral video of a family feud which fuels support for a Georgia gay teen. And The Voices, Beverly McClellan, does more than just sing. And now, something scary. Ooh. Ooh. 
Lyle is a Brooklyn-set psychological thriller starring Girls alum Gabby Hoffman as a pregnant lesbian housewife. Ingrid Youngerman, creator star of the hit web series F to 7th, plays her ambitious record producer wife. And when their relationship hits the rocks, the devil is in the details. not something you'll find in any of the Victorians. There's one there in the master bedroom, too. And this one is your classic marble. This is the two-bedroom? Yep. Like I said, you guys are lucky. New to town and lucky. So how did you even find out about this place? Hey, Lyle. Lyle, come over here with Mommy, okay? Oh, hey, little sweetheart. I'm Stuart Thorndike, and I directed Lyle. I'm Ingrid Youngerman, and I play the character of June. So Lyle is about a couple who moves into their dream home, and tragedy strikes when their baby dies. It's really just the lead character, Leah. Gabby Hoffman plays Leah. Her dealing with the grief, and it starts to turn to paranoia and horror and... There's a cast of suspicious characters in this house, including her partner, June, played by Ingrid. Tell me about June. June is Leah's partner, and my main focus in the movie is my career. And I say that that's to support the family, and every decision I make is based on taking care of the family. Obviously, there's something that happened to you. What was the inspiration for the story? (laughs) Well, we used to date. So... Ingrid and I were dating, and I wanted to have a kid, and she didn't. And I was in the shower, literally, when I had the idea, but I was mad at her. And I was like, she's just a bad person. She's stopping me from having my child. And then all of a sudden, my anger turned into this story, and I just got out of the shower and wrote down this whole story where she's evil. (laughs) (laughs) And then I looked at it, and I felt very exhilarated. I felt like this was something I really needed to make and that I was onto something. And I was like, oh, I just wrote Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not Rosemary's Baby, but it has some parallels like finding your dream house and your partner. I shouldn't give the story away anyway, but it had parallels to Rosemary's Baby. But then I thought, oh, lesbian Rosemary's Baby, that totally turns me on. So I just kind of ran with that. One of the things I loved about the film is it's not a lesbian film. It's not a gay film. It's not a Let's do a crossover film. It's just a film that happens to feature two lesbian characters. Yeah, I would never make a movie about being gay because I date guys and girls. What I say is I date cool people. And for me, it just wasn't a big issue to start dating women. It felt natural and normal. And maybe it was because I was older. But for me, that was just never my narrative. And I never also felt like some social obligation to make movies with gay characters in them. But that's just where my stories are because that's my life. So I just make the movies that I like and I'm compelled to make. But when you talk about it like that, I feel like it's important. I think it's good. They should be just normally in these kinds of stories. I have to go down a side road because of something you just said. You mentioned dating both men and women, but you didn't use the word bisexual. I don't think about it too much. I don't have a problem with the term, but I don't really like sitting around talking about my sexuality for some reason. Like, it just seems like I'm a vegan. I try and be vegan. That seems more like my moral mantle or phrase that I would describe myself with more than bisexual. But (laughs) I'm not afraid of the word. I think giving up cheese would be much harder than being bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) I I like talking about sexuality a lot. It's been a big part of my life. And I 
just had this conversation this morning with someone that also doesn't like labels. And I feel like Stewart is a rarity and that she really has no problem at all with any sexuality or I don't think she even thinks in that way at all. I think that's rare. For me, it was really important to come out as a lesbian when I was very young. And it's been a long process of getting to know myself and defining myself and having a community that supported me. And that's where the word family comes from. It really feels like a family. I think that's a really special thing to have. And it was a way that I was sort of brought up. I think labels are important. We have labels for everything. I don't even, you know, we have names for things for reasons so that we can understand them. And I think for me, bisexuals specifically should have some sort of movement. They should come out because they're scared to in the same way that gays, lesbians, trans people are scared to come out. They're judged for it. And when you back away from that and you hide and you're still closeted, I think that makes it harder for other people to understand themselves. And I like knowing Maybe it's simple, but I I think it's an interesting conversation to have. What do you want people to take away from the film, both of you? Uh, I hope they enjoy the film, and I hope that, I mean, I think of it as kind of, I mean, this sounds pretentious, but sort of art horror, maybe just looking at horror films in a different way, and finding a new audience for psychological horror films, because I think horror right now is in an ugly place, and it's one of my favorite genres. I think it's really sensual and has a lot of potential to be really visual and experimental. And I feel like people look down on genre films, <laughs> and I wish they wouldn't. This has been a conversation with Stuart Thorndike and Ingrid Youngerman. Stuart has taken the unusual step of releasing her film online for free. You can't get a better deal than that. So butter your popcorn and head on over to LyleMovie.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. So head on over to LyleMovie.com. So you go in tonight to watch that, Chrisanne? I would love to support filmmakers, but just the interview itself scared me. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I can't handle scary movies, but when she said a lesbian Rosemary baby, that sounded like, oh, okay, I think I can handle that. You know. It sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see it now. I know. It's free, though. You you should want to go see it because it's free. It's free. Here, have a handful. It's free. Speaking of handling controversy. Yes. Here's the deal, sports fans. It's time for the sports part of IMRU. Yay! As you well know, Michael Sam, the SEC Defensive Player of the Year for the University of Missouri, was drafted finally in the seventh round of the NFL draft, and he was picked by the St. Louis Rams, and then he was summarily cut, although he did pretty well, but the Rams are deep in his position. He's a defensive back, but who picked him up? The Dallas Cowboys. He has been signed to the... See, there you go. And it's Dallas Yeehaw. And he is on the what's called the practice squad, which is below the third string. But you never know when you're going to pull from that. And we want to talk about how it is in the Big D, how the gay community is all, how they're feeling about Michael Sam now being back in Texas where he belongs. And my good friend from the Dallas Voice and also host of his own radio show, Lambda Weekly. Let's say hello to Mr. David Tavitt. Hey, Chris how are you? I am terrific, David. You you know, you sound younger than I, I remember. Well, because I keep getting younger. You do. And you know what? I am so thrilled to talk with you. Michael Sam is back in Texas on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I know you're a huge football fan. I am. 
And and, and, and let me it ask... the right person to talk football with. I know. Your entire listening audience in Dallas knew that Everybody, you were going to be peppered. I'm getting all these comments from people wanting to know if you're on crack or what. <laughs> well, you know what? There's a lot of folks out there who are realizing that crack is not the answer, but Michael Sam may be. How is the Dallas community... When, when the news came down that Dallas picked up Michael Sam, what was happening? Well, um, this organization called the American Decency Association said they were going to get their 3.2 million supporters out there protesting the next Dallas Cowboys game. Really? 3.2 million? 3.2 million. Isn't that impressive? Huge. Not a single single one, not even the one who threatened, showed up to protest. But Mm. what happened was instead there was this counter-protest, and it was people carrying signs that said, Things like you know, go Cowboys, and you know, love not hate, and things like that. And so it was. So, a, so it's a good thing, and he's on the practice squad. So he's not really. He's not even dressed. He's not on the side. He's on the sideline, but he's not dressed. Jerry Jones. What's his relationship with the gay community in Dallas? He is the owner uh, of the Cowboys. Absolutely none. None at all. Do you- absolutely none. Uh, yeah, you you would think that there would be some, but the reaction among the gay community has been, right, this is America's team. Okay, so this is an example. So no, now, do gays like like the, the do gay Dallas folks like the Cowboys? Do they do they follow oh, sure. sports? You got sports bars there, right? Oh, oh, sure. Uh, you know, uh, all the bars, the Cowboys games are on 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 Sundays, um, and I know lots of people who have season tickets. That's why it was funny that you asked me to be on your show talking football and not one of them. No, I asked you because you are at the forefront of Dallas Gay News. You are Dallas Gay News. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Now, tell me, do the Cowboys, have they had gay days before? Like, you know, other teams will have, like, gay appreciation nights or that kind of Have they done any of that before? Well, let's see. The Mavericks have and um, the soccer team has. You know, no. So the Cowboys have not. Mark Mark Cuban... Mark Cuban, who's the owner of the Mavericks, has always been very liberal, very open, and he right. has to be liberal because he gets fined all the time, so he's got to be open about change and so forth. But the Cowboys, do you, is there any word or do you get an idea that maybe because of Michael that the Cowboys are going to open up and say, so, hey? You know, here's how they're treating it. They're not letting Michael do any interviews at all. Mm. The attitude is Michael is here to work. Uh, when Jerry Jones was asked about it, the owner of the Cowboys, his uh, answer was really a very clear, you know, and, and also, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you draft him originally? He said, you know, we watched him work when he was uh, working with the Rams, and he was showing such promise and improvement. He's somebody that we could use on our team, and that that was his statement, which really was a great statement. He wasn't saying anything about his being gay. He wasn't uh, taken by our team because because he's gay or not. They're just saying he's a good player. And he is, and, and a lot of you know we have to be realistic. A lot of NFL drafting has to do with you know what you have in your position. Are you deep in this? And that was the problem with St. Louis. They had a lot of really good defensive backs, and he just didn't quite make the cut. But we all know that Jerry Jones, as a as a as a professional team, he does not shy away from publicity. Do you think he's going to use this in any way this year? To I mean. Cowboy games sell out. They don't. They don't need to get more fans, do they? they don't need that. Yeah, um, the Cowboys uh, stadium, the new stadium, seats a hundred thousand people or more, uh, and, and it's sold out. So they don't need more fans. I mean, everybody needs more fans, but uh, you know, it's not like they did this for publicity. 
you know, just to generate more ticket sales. Nope. They just want to make no. the Cowboys a better team. Well, David, we have yeah. to wrap this up. I want to thank you so much for calling okay. in. And I'm going to tell you something. If, if, if he makes the team, if he gets out of the practice, I don't think we want to talk with you again, because I'm assuming oh, you're, sure. you get a press pass and you'll be able to go in that locker room. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, that... we're working on that. But uh, they're just saying no right now. I don't I don't get it. Uh well, you keep plugging Mr. Dallas Gay News, Mr. David Taffet. Thank you very much, sir. Good to talk to you, Chrisanne. Well, I learned so much about football and I know. Dallas. And you, I'm were really... so, you were both so quiet. Well, you were I, I didn't off You're talking about football. All I know is that they have nice outfits. They... <laughs> I remember back when I lived in Dallas, I mm-hmm. tackled a lot of cowboys, but it had nothing to do with football. Right? <laughs> well, boys, stick with me, and I'll show you a whole brand new world. I hope so. And we'll see. speaking of new worlds, do you have a million dollars? If you don't, how... Well, if you had a million dollars, you would be giving it to us for fun drive, right? So yes, right? You... Exactly. But if you have a million dollars or just want to live like you do, you probably are a fan of Bravo's million-dollar listing. Guilty. 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 I live in a tiny house with a tiny yard in a neighborhood that's still a few more years away from being trendy. But I'm obsessed with Bravo's million-dollar listing. Although the original has spun-off versions based in New York and Miami, it's the original L.A.-based property porn that inhabits my heart and a 29-year-old agent named Josh who makes it fabulous. Hi, my name is Josh Flagg. When it debuted in 2006, the format of Million Dollar Listing was different than the show we know today. It was originally a... uh show about, I don't know, five or six different realtors. It was broken up into little parts, and they were all selling big houses, small houses. It was a very eclectic group of people. And then they retrofitted the uh, program, and they brought on three agents, and they brought probably a, a more younger demographic in, and the ratings went sky high. I mean, it was just, just a completely different show now. It's, you know, it's now it's three young brokers selling multimillion-dollar properties in Beverly Hills, how were you cast on the show? Basically, they did a casting call, and, and of course, I got a call because they had heard about me because I was so young at the time selling these expensive houses in Beverly Hills. So they called me, the production company that does the show, and I went in, and apparently they went through lots of tapes for lots of different people, but with mine, they just saw it and they were like, this is it. I guess they liked what they heard on the, on the, uh, they, they videotaped me at first, you know, and they sent it off to New York and New York liked it and they approved. And, uh, apparently, I mean, I, I heard back very quickly. So I was very surprised. Actually, I wasn't surprised. I was, I was, I was, I was surprised. Yeah. Tell me about your family. Well, let's see. On my mother's side, I'm a third generation Los Angelino. My great-grandfather was one of the founders of the Jewish community here in Los Angeles. He was one of the founders of the City of Hope, of Sinai Temple, of many, 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 many important Jewish uh, foundations. And uh, so that family, the Platt family, goes way back. And then my father's side, uh, are I'm a first generation, I guess, because uh, my father was born during the war, and he was born in Holland. So it's completely different, and you know, my grandmother comes from an old money family. My my mother, my excuse me, my mother comes from an old money family. My father came here with his mother. She came here with two dollars in her pocket, and you know, of course, she made a quite a bit of money 
from that, which is it's really amazing her story. But she came here with nothing. It's it's amazing. And how did you get into real estate? I wanted something to do with houses, to either be an architect or an interior designer or something to do with houses. But I didn't really want to work for other people in the sense I didn't want to go, you know, shopping for furniture for other people or I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be sitting at the drafting table and all that. So I just thought you know, I may as well may as well just sell the big houses. And and I had the contacts and I knew I could do it and I was I'm pretty good with people. And uh that's basically how it came to be. And you started in high school. I started at the tail end of high school, correct. I was still in high school. I was 18, so I could legally do it. But it's a little difficult when you have a, a math test on one side and then on the other side you have a uh, California purchase agreement for a property. When you joined Million Dollar Listing in 2008, your sexuality wasn't mentioned and you didn't ping my gaydar. So your sudden fabulosity last season really surprised me. Was there... Not proud. <laughs> Outside of the was mind. there a conscious decision on your part or the World of Wonder producers to paint? Oh, please. Oh, if, just... it was, if it was up to World of Wonder, I would have come out on the air years ago. Bravo would have loved that. But, you know, they had to wait till I, I was comfortable and it took me a while. But finally I decided, you know, this is ridiculous. Not because of my own insecurities. Well, partly because of that, but also because of it wouldn't allow the cameras into my personal life. You can't really have the cameras tracking your personal life. Or, you know, I have a boyfriend. How are you gonna, What am I supposed to do, walk around with a, with a girlfriend all the time? It doesn't work, you know? It just didn't work. So eventually I was just like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm already openly gay and this is stupid. And the fear was probably that it would hurt my business before, so I didn't want to come out on TV. And I didn't want to do the whole Madison thing, which was, you know, a whole big gay coming out thing. So... What is the big difference between Josh Flagg, the person, and Josh Flagg, the reality star? Nothing. I don't really hold back when it comes to the camera. Some put on a shtick, I guess. All of the Bravo shows I know are pretty much reality-based, so the characters you see on Bravo are, that's who they are on uh, in real life. You know, the Real Housewives, like, any of the ones that I've met are pretty much like that in real life. I am the same exact person I've been since I was 17 years old. That's, I think, what people don't understand. I think I, when, it was a lot different 10 years ago, coming out in high school, than it is today. Well, at least I guess it is. I'm not in high school anymore, but it seems today that it's much easier for kids. But when I was in high school, it was just at the end cusp when it was just, it was acceptable, but it was still like, you know, there wasn't like a, it wasn't like there was a group of them. And certainly in the private school where I went, I for sure was the first in my class, if not in the school that came out. And it wasn't like a whole big to-do coming. It was just like, hey guys, okay, I'm gay. All right, deal with it, whatever. And nobody really cared, but you could tell people were not. It wasn't like today when it's just like, oh, yeah, he's gay, he's straight. He's gay, he's straight. Today was So I'm very comfortable with it, and I have been since I was 17. And if anyone ever asks me, you know, I always tell them, you know, are you straight, gay? What I, I mean, I tell them right up front, no problem. I could care less. I, I just don't wear a sign on my forehead because I don't think it's what defines somebody as a person. I don't think it's the most important thing. Some people think that's the most important thing. They need to be out and proud and blah, 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 and... Believe me, I have no problems whatsoever. I mean, you want me to go on a float in a parade? I'll go on a float in a parade. But it's just not what's important to me. Real estate's important to me. My boyfriend's important to me. Traveling's important to me. Going to dinner with friends is important to me. But not being out and proud, that's not important to me. Should straight people be proud to be straight? I mean, they don't go around being, oh, I'm straight. But that's just how I am. Other people like to make a to-do of it, and that's fine. That's why we're all different people. Does that make me a terrible uh, guest on your show? 
Not at all. This has been a conversation with Josh Flagg. Season 7 of Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles is currently airing on the Bravo Cable Channel. I'm Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you a house I would buy you a house And if I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars don't cook, but I'm addicted to food shows, and I have a crappy abode, but I'm addicted to a million-dollar listing and anything to do with HGTV. I love HGTV, too. It's like porn. It, really, it is. You can't get enough it of it, and you still feel empty afterwards. Is and the soundtrack the same, though? I mean, mm. you get the same. They, but, but the acting seems better than some of the porn <laughs> I have heard about. Well, I've seen some really good porn. Well, hey no, now. Enough said. Enough said on that. <laughs> well, still to come, the Sapphic Nomads Katie Cook and Maggie Young filed the second of their four-part report about gay life in India. And Miss Jackie Beat will be in the house. It Jackie Beat. Yes. Yeah. Well, the time is 7.31. Don't go away. I am RU. We'll be right back. On This Day in History, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. September 8, 1975, Air Force Sergeant Leonard Matlovich appears on the cover of Time magazine with the headline, I am a homosexual. Most Americans were shocked to see those words in bold print because this was a first. But just as shocking, perhaps, was that Matlovich had served three tours of duty in Vietnam, for which he was highly decorated but got discharged just for being gay. Matlovich took the Air Force to court. As a poster boy for gay rights, he was also excommunicated from the Mormon Church. In 1980, a federal judge ordered the Air Force to reinstate Matlovich. The Air Force offered him a $160,000 settlement instead, which he gladly accepted. As we now know, many would follow in Matlovich's footsteps in challenging the military's anti-gay policy. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller. Hello, my name is Stuart Thorndike, and I wrote and directed the feature film Lyle. Listen to IMRU Radio Magazine every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego. 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. And I'm Miss Barbecue. Last week, we shared part one of a four-part report on the LGBT community in, yes, India. Mm-hmm. From our intrepid sapphic nomads, Katie Cook and Maggie Young, here is part two. In our last episode from Mumbai, India, we talked to Shruta, a training officer at Hamsafar Trust. She talked a little bit about the current situation for gay, lesbian, and trans people in India. In this second episode of our four-part series from India, we asked Shruta about her personal experiences of identifying as bisexual. What happens is a lot of bisexual people take time to come to terms with themselves. And when they first go into the community, it's not very accepting because people often think that, okay, you're someone who steps on two stones at the same time. You know, you're taking best of both worlds. You're trying to take advantage of the situation. Ah, oh, it's okay. At the end of the day, you'll go and fit back into the heterosexual world. 
I would say that bisexual people feel alienated. At least I do sometimes when I'm in a crowd that's neither, that's rather gay and lesbian. I don't see where I stand. A lot of the times people tell me that I don't look queer enough and I'm not, I'm not sure how am I supposed to take that. I mean, how does, how queer does one have to look to be queer? So that's one thing. And the other thing that I face sometimes is just frustration because people don't seem to understand where I'm coming from. When I'm with a guy, it's, it's like, oh, you're bisexual, kinky stuff. When I'm with a lesbian, it's like, okay, you know what? You're going to leave me for a guy at the end of the day. So I'm not sure what to call that feeling, but that's, uh, I guess, something that most bisexuals would identify with. We asked Shruta about her own coming out story. Oh, uh, I don't think I actually came out to myself till I was around 21, 22. I mean, I did date girls before that. But then coming from an all-girls convent school, I thought it was a rite of passage to be, you know, friendly with girls. But I realized after some time that maybe this is not just, you know, a two-minute thing to get done and over with. Because I, I from an all-girls school, my next step was to a co-education, co-ed college. I still had my attraction towards girls. I dated a few of them and I didn't date guys till I was 17. Till that time, for me, it was like, okay, I'm just not attracted. Maybe that's how I am. And after I started dating guys, for a very long time, I didn't date any girls. So I thought, okay, it was a phase. Maybe I'm, I'm out of it. Maybe I'm not queer. And then it all started back. I mean, what happened was I got into a long distance relationship with a, with a guy. And while he wasn't around, I noticed myself getting attracted to girls as well. Like when he was in front of me, I had eyes all for him. It was just when he wasn't around that the drifting started happening. So I got a bit worried. I called up my boyfriend back then and I told him, you know what? I'm in love with this girl in my class. And he laughed it off initially. Then he was like, do you need to see a psychiatrist? I'm like, no, I don't need to see anyone. I'm just telling you, I'm not done anything. I'm trying to be faithful here. He laughed it off. And I knew that it wasn't a laughing matter. So I tried to do a little bit of introspection going back to the times when I was with women, dating women. And it took a little bit of soul searching, a little bit of acceptance on my part to realize that maybe I'm attracted to both. Maybe I'm attracted to everything. Uh, he didn't take it too well. We, we broke off when I returned. Uh, coming out to others, I think it was a conscious decision to let all, my, all the people I date know about my sexuality so that I avoid what happened with my guy. So every time I dated a guy, I made a conscious decision to tell him I'm bi. Every time I went out with a lesbian woman or any girl for that matter, that's when I told her, look, I'm bi. So decide whether you're fine with it at this stage itself or we don't take it ahead from here on. I'm not very out to my family members. I'm totally out about queer issues. My family knows that I actually go for pride marches. My mom helps me design my clothes for pride marches. And she knows I'm a part of this youth group. She knows I'm a core member. She knows what the youth group does. But it's not exactly a conversation that we've had across the table where, you know, I sit my mom down and I tell her, you know what, mom, I'm bi. That's not there yet, but I think she understands what's happening. Uh, with my sister, there were instances where I was just outed in a very random way. And everyone I accidentally got outed to was fine with it. We then asked Shruta how she thought her family might react if she decided to come out to them. I come from a family that's not very conservative. I'm, I'm happy about that. 
but at the same time she comes with a set of values and a set of morals that i guess come with people of that generation indian people of that generation uh it took me a long time to convince her that homosexuality was normal once i did there was no looking back my mom is one of the strongest supporters i know of the lgbt cause my gay friends come over at my place they're out to my mom my lesbian friends come over they are out to my mom and she's totally accepting she's like no this is normal this is what happens and it's okay just accept it get on with it i don't know how she would react if she found out her daughter was queer but i think she'd be cool enough to know that okay if this can happen to other people's children i'm sure this can happen to my child too she would cry a little bit i'm sure she'd say why didn't you tell me this before um my family is understanding in a way i'm 26 and most indian women of my age are married they have kids kids plural yes and my family has still not forced me to get married to find a guy or they haven't even tried to arrange me anywhere they just let me do my own thing so it's it's unusual for parents to be so supporting it's unusual for parents to let their girls do what they want it's unusual for parents to you know think of their girl child as an independent person so i'm lucky <laughs> this concludes the second part of a four part series from india to learn more about our sapphic nomads project please visit our website at www.nomaddocumentary.com or you can visit our sapphic nomads facebook page Till next time this is Maggie Young with fellow Suffolk nomad Katie Cook reflecting on our time in Mumbai India for this way out I love me some Suffolk nomads they've been traveling the world for the last year they're finally back home we have two more reports on India and then they're done into the next trip wow I love anything sapphic. You had me in sapphic. <laughs> <laughs> It's just interesting to see how how because you always think of Uganda or you always think of Jamaica or you always think of other countries on how they treat LGBT people, but you never really think about India. Well, all. India has a, you know, they've had like in the past few years a lot of violence against women straight or gay. Yeah. And, and so we we've been very focused on that. Yeah. And but now, you know, but you know, as you know, there are gays everywhere. everywhere. We are everywhere. And yeah. even even in this room there are gays. There are. There are. And it feels a little gayer. Yeah, it does. Mm. Just in the it past does. couple of minutes. So speaking of feeling gayer, I am so excited to have her in the studio today. She's my idol. She sings, she writes, she dances. Well, <laughs> she dances a little bit. <laughs> But give it up for Miss Jackie Beat. Yay! Oh, That's me. Yes. <laughs> I don't dance. I can't do lap dances anymore either because of the lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they're pending. Well, I'm going to try to I'm going to start with a really easy question. Okay. How long have you been doing drag? Oh, well the character Jackie Beat has been around for 25 years. Nice. I can't believe it like 1989. Wow. I say back when, you know, they actually had thrift stores on Melrose and the bands on Sunset Strip actually played instruments and sang right. 25 years. And I'm doing a show and the beat goes on. I did it in New York and I did it here in Los Angeles and it's a celebration of 25 years of filthy songs and <laughs> hilarity and way too much makeup so i just can't believe it you blink and, and it's, it's been 25 years is this guy i've been doing it for 15 years and it's still really it's still still really blows my mind too speaking of songs and parodies yes. um i love them 
Is there a song that you wish you hadn't done? No. No? I mean, I have some losers. I talk about it in the 25th anniversary show because I put together a medley of my worst. Well, it's not my worst songs. This is what I say in the show. I'm like, I I do a bad taste medley and it's chunks of all my horrific. And I mean, they are the worst songs. (laughs) And that's really like saying, you know, who's the, you know the most annoying Kardashian. It's like, it's really hard to pick. But anyway, um, yes. Well, take me back 25 years ago. Where did you go on stage and what did you wear? And was that Jackie Beats first? Well, it started out, um, when I first came to Los Angeles, I was a serious artist. From a little town? From Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. See? Tumbleweeds. Nice. Oh. Um, yeah, so case in a dream. So I was kind of serious, and I did photography and artwork and poetry. I wrote tons of poetry. And yeah. this was, you know, this was the 80s. So I took my poetry very seriously, and I listened to the Smiths, and I thought I was the only person feeling this and the only person feeling that. So anyway, I would go to these poetry readings that they had, and I would sign up, and they never seemed to get to me. <laughs> They would get to Robert Downey Jr. and Ooh. Allie Sheedy. Ooh. Yeah, reading her Sheedy poetry. <laughs> anyway, and that is acceptable because that's Man. her last name. Yes, it is. Anyway, that's called creative vulgarity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would they would never let me read. And one week I was just so PO'd that I got in full beatnik drag, you know, like page boy. Uh, a beret. Bo- yes, a beret, yeah. a black, black turtleneck, yeah, black skirt, black leggings, black boots, you know, yes. And I walked in and they wouldn't even let me in the door. What? Yeah. <gasps> this was Cafe Largo back in the day. And this was in the, you know, heart of West Hollywood. So anyway, I went to Rage. There was a talent show that night. I read my poem, which was essentially stand-up comedy in the guise of beat poetry. I forced people to snap their fingers instead of, you know, clapping. And I won the contest. People laughed. I won the contest. Hello. Did you know you had something there? A monster was born. (laughs) (laughs) As a fellow drag queen, what do you love about doing drag and what do you hate about doing drag? I love the fact that I can say anything. Mm. Which is going by the wayside, frankly. I just feel like if people have irony, poor blood, if you're not smart enough to know that this is not the new costume for the KKK and I'm not actually a racist and that, you know, irony is saying the complete opposite of what you're trying to express. And, you know, it's really ridiculous. So anyway, that's my favorite part is being neither male nor female, being sort of monstrous, you know, in a way... And I hate to say this, but I really feel like people expect so little from drag in a way because they want, you know, they think you're going to lip sync. And then all of a sudden I belt out Shirley Bassey and they're like, oh, my God, Uh, it's funny. I feel like it would be funny if I was not in drag. So the drag is just icing on the cake. I always look at it as a high concept character like Pee Wee Herman or Elvira. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that the person beneath the female character is male. So yes, it's drag, but I think it's approached a little differently. My least favorite part is actually getting in drag. Really? Uh, it's really calming for me, actually. Really? How well, long good does it for take? You, honey. Take us the process. How long does it take you? It takes over two hours. Wow. You know, you gotta shave and you gotta, it's just horrible. It's horrible. It's no fun. And I hate to say that, but. I love getting in drag. Well, I put on music and 
do don't, my thing. Don't tell people that. <laughs> the more I complain, the more money I now, make. It's, now, it's very difficult. Now, now, Jackie, I went to your website and I Googled you actually too. Oh, Did you yeah. know you're on Wikipedia? Uh, yeah, yeah, I you're on Wikipedia too. So, so I you, think it's a very old. Is it um, accurate? Because Wikipedia can I know, be it can, it can Well, be. somebody wrote a bio about me. I love divine, but I discovered divine very late in life. I did not base myself on divine. I just right. you know, years ago I used to weigh a lot more. Not yeah. that I'm you know slim and trim right oh. now, but I'm just Wait. saying. So people just thought drag queen fat. This must be the biggest divine fan in the world, and wow. that's what they wrote. So I don't know if that's still on Wikipedia. No, anyway. that wasn't on Wikipedia. Okay. Oh, I like the there. part about but, you dating John Kennedy Jr. Is that oh. still true? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! If it was, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd be in a you know penthouse apartment in New York, keeping my mouth shut, eating bonbons. About it. Exactly. Or now, now, life. now you're also a writer. You've written for. Um, paid, you've written for screen and you've written for, for, for literature too. Um, for, name, name some stuff you've written for. Well, I've written for some TV shows. I've written, you know, I, I've worked with Roseanne. I toured with Roseanne as her opening act. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I worked with her on her Comedy Central the roast. roast. And yeah. I love Roseanne. Um, you know, a lot of working in LA, a lot of people come to your drag show and they have a few drinks and they're like, You're hilarious. I want to work with you. And, you know, yeah. and you never hear from them again. Roseanne said that. And the next day the phone rang and it was Roseanne. And, you know, she really the, came through. Yeah. So she's, she's amazing. I wrote for Joan Rivers. Yeah. And I've written for Ross Matthews. I wrote on his TV show and I helped write his book. And I've worked with a lot of sassy, Funny ladies. <laughs> Sorry, do Ross. Any, do you have any dish? Got any dish on people that you would never work with well, again? Just between us. Yeah, no one's oh. listening. Yeah, no one's listening. No. I should include Rosie O'Donnell. I always say in my bio that I've written material for Rosie O'Donnell, and the reason is because I rewrote I Got You, Babe, you know, the Sonny yeah. and Cher mm -hmm. song, as I Got You, another B word. I'm not sure if you can say it on the radio. And out of respect for women, mm -hmm. I won't say it. Rhymes with which? Yes. Okay. So anyway, I rewrote it as I got you, B word. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, Rosie O'Donnell and Roseanne Barr sang it at, I want to say like Lincoln Center or something. Really? So that means I technically have written material for Rosie O'Donnell because she sang a song At Lincoln parody. Center. At oh, Lincoln yes. Center of all places. Sondheim. But I, no, I, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody. People are very complex. They have their good sides and their bad sides. And um, that's, well, you know. Well, what do you do to push yourself? You've been doing this for 25 years and I totally want to emulate your, your career. Um, but pushing yourself to get out there and write more material and to get out there and do stuff, what do you do to push yourself? Well, buy a house in Los Angeles <laughs> and you will. <laughs> you'll take every gig that comes your way. Yeah, no, it's when I have to write a mortgage check, I, I feel such inspiration to write another song parody. No, so, um, I just... You know, when my dad, before my dad died, my dad was an artist. My mom was an artist. Mm -hmm. My mom was from Italy and really should not have married an American serviceman and moved to Scottsdale, Arizona and had three kids. She should have married royalty or been an actress. She looked like Sophia Loren. I'm not kidding. Oh, my gosh. Bridges my, of Madison County. Yes. People tell me I've never seen it. And everyone's like, it's what? so your mom. Yeah. Ugh. So, But my dad was an amazing artist, but he worked at a job that I know he didn't enjoy because he had three kids. And, you know, this was the 60s and the 70s. He always used to say, son, you are so lucky to make a living doing what you love. 
And mm. he, you know, so that's, oh. I'm just a grateful person. I just, my, for some reason, my go-to is working in a cat food factory. If there's anyone listening right now that works in a cat food factory, maybe it's not as bad as I think, but for some reason that would be the nightmare job. Having to call over the foreman or push a button and stop the conveyor belt just because I had to pee. I can pretty much come and go as I please. I travel all over the world. I've worked with amazing people. And a big part of it is because I'm good. I mean, I just, I'm going to just say <laughs> that. That's what we're you are amazing. For. That's what Day you are. Day and age of drag race. I just want to say that. It's so hard being more talented than famous. I was, I was going to ask you about the, the <laughs> show. That, I was going to ask you about the show that has no name, but but I want to talk about what your uh, upcoming projects are. You said you're doing the 25 Years of Beat. Yes, and the beat goes on. Beat I'm doing that on. in San Francisco. I think I'm doing it in Philadelphia. Are you going to bring it to L.A.? I did it. I did it in L.A. You did already? Ooh, you must have been busy. Is this a bus and truck? Are you just doing the whole country or? Oh, I'm just doing it here and there. And then, you know, and then I, yeah, it's, but the best place for people to find out is MissJackieBeat.com. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. And you can just click on schedule. You can also buy my songs there and all sorts of fantastic products. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) But I have a lot of shows coming up. I'm going to Detroit for the very first time. Oh, good. So, yeah. And, and of course, you know, please follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all that stuff. So, you know, like I, I had scrambled eggs for breakfast. <laughs> How many tweets do you do a day? And do you do your own tweets? I'm going to assume you do. You, do I do you don't my have own. people like no, some other stuff. No, I do my own tweets. Of course I do my own tweets. Of course I And I jokingly always say, if you're a comedian and you're on um, Twitter, you should call your next show, I gave it away for free, one sentence at a time. (laughs) You know, because it's... In 140 characters. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Basically. No, but uh, yeah, Instagram, I I need people to follow me because uh, it's, yeah, that's what the world is about these days, I guess. Do you get a prize for a lot of followers? I mean, what happens if you get a thousand, two thousand? It's It's just, yeah, I'm feeling loved. It's just that mass love. Mommy didn't love me enough. <laughs> Daddy loved me too much. You know how it is. Mm. I'm kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> God, if I had a dollar for every time I apologized for some horrible thing I said. <laughs> You'd be making a lot of money. Who are your heroes? Real quickly. Well, most of my, first of all, my heroes are mostly female comics yeah. who I adore. And I used to love, when I was a teenager, I loved John Belushi. And then I heard stories that he was a misogynistic jerk who used to sabotage sketches that were either starring females or had been written by females because he thought women weren't funny. And mm. that just makes me so mad. Harumph. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel. So, but uh, I love Andrea Martin. Mm. Yes. SCTV. She is seriously my comedy goddess. And I got to meet her and I went to a barbecue at her house and I I shared a dressing room with her in Provincetown. I just adore her. So and of course, funny. Catherine O'Hara, who's you know also from SCTV. Yeah. And I love my friend Nadia Ginsburg, who is yes. hilarious. And Margaret Cho is funny. And I love Roseanne. And you know, yes. working with Joan was was a thrill. And like I said, no one's perfect. No, no you one's know? perfect. But but in my eyes, you are perfect, Miss Jackie Beat. Wow. And thank you so much for coming into the studio. You don't know how much it means to me. And it oh. means to IMRU. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for having Jackie Beat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> where's the, where's Jackie the audience? Beat is like an 
like an iceberg. There's so much below the water I didn't know about. There's so much, so much. And we just got only like a couple of farthings We'll have down to have her there. back. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim Plinko's by the hand, and exit to the far, far left of the tram's forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Wenzel Jones, social media master, John Dyer V, coordinating producers, Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. With comments or story suggestions, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. Contact us directly via email, IMRU Radio at imruradio.org. IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU Radio Facebook page by noon every Tuesday. Coming up next, Flip the Script with Rico Matsuda. Now, I put a lot of thought into this closing song, mainly because I had to listen to everything Jackie Beat had ever sang, find (laughs) something I could put on the radio. (laughs) That was clean. Also because Wenzel Jones accused me of photoshopping a picture of him. (gasps) Oh, he gads. And it struck me that if I had that kind of skill, why would the pictures of me on Facebook look like such crap? Oh, (laughs) So we close with Retouch My Body from the natural beauty herself known as Jackie Beat. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Jackie Beat, still young and sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting older and I gained some weight too In my imagination I am just 22 I'm way too busy to do Jenny Weight Watchers too The fast food is to blame cholesterol's through the roof If there's a camera up in here that's taking photographs of me Then it's true that you must sign this confidentiality agreement right here Telling you what to do Cause if you run the pics you got without the use of Photoshop I will hunt you down Cause baby this is show business Nobody wants the truth Don't even try it This is my diet Retouch my body Stretch me some more Take off 60 pounds Then take off 10 more Retouch my body Resize my head Clean up my skin Please tone down the red Retouch my body Lipo my thighs With your computer mouse I'm as big as a house Retouch my body Remove every curve I'm going to the mall To get a soft serve Give me a tiny waist because I eat like a slob Remove a chin or two and how's about a nose job? Erase under my eyes where it is wrinkled and dark Your resume says that you worked on Jurassic Park If there's a camera up in here that's taking photographs of me Then it's true that you must sign this confidentiality agreement in blood Or else you will get sued Cause if I end up on Perez Hilton looking like a les I will hunt you down Cause baby this is show business Nobody wants the truth Don't even try it This is my diet Retouch my body Don't wanna look tragic So call industrial light and magic Retouch my body Don't cause any trouble I am in denial Don't you burst my bubble Retouch my body Just look at my dog